the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, March 2nd. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, I'll be interviewing Cork property developer Michael O'Flynn, who is back building houses after more than four years in limbo with NAMA. Before that, let me remind you that you can download this podcast for free each week by subscribing via iTunes. Now to Michael O'Flynn. In 1978, he set up the O'Flynn Construction Group in Cork. It went on to become one of the biggest house builders in the country by the time of the banking and property crash in 2008. Two years later, 1.8 billion of company loans and 25 million euro personal loans were transferred to NAMA for workout. His business plan was rejected by NAMA and his loans were eventually sold to US investment group Blackstone for a reputed 1.1 billion euro in 2014. Blackstone then sought to call in the loans at short notice, which led to a bout of bitter litigation, which Michael O'Flynn eventually won in the courts. In October of last year, Michael put together a funding package of €400 million to secure control of most of his businesses in Ireland. And he now has plans to build 10,000 homes, mostly in Dublin and Cork. Michael, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you. You've certainly been through the wars in the past uh, number of years. How are you doing now and how did you cope? Well, I'm pleased to be at the end of it. I wouldn't recommend a journey to anyone. Um, having said that, when the crisis hit, we embraced the concept of NAMA because I think it was imp- incumbent on everyone in this country to, at the time, to do the right thing. Um, NAMA turned out to be very different to what we anticipated. It's been a long number of years getting through the NAMA process. Once NAMA rejected our business plan, we had no real desire to remain in there because effectively, you were managing your own liquidation or receivership. And as I heard in your intro there, you were describing uh, our overall debts and what eventually um, was paid for our loans or reputed to have been paid. Just remember that we had no say in being put into NAMA. Our good loans as well as our challenging development loans were put in because of the banking situation at the time. We had no say in what our loans were sold out of NAMA we had no say in the fact 40% that... 40% haircut? Well, I wouldn't say it's 40%. I think there's somewhat less than that, but maybe you're good, better at the maths than I am. But the reality of the situation is we came up with a business plan that was rejected by NAMA uh, to repay all our loans. Uh, NAMA didn't see businesses like ours as business. As businesses, they saw them as a collection of assets. So, you know, we got put in there. We got sold out of there. We, we tried our utmost to do the right thing but they had no interest in yeah. in anybody I think um, who were projecting a, a number of years to repay your loans or to stay in business and I think that's come back to haunt us Now you're adamant that you would have repaid every single cent of that 1.8 billion euro aren't you? But uh, I mean there are people out there who would say um, that you know really 1.8 billion it was never it was never on that you were going to be able to repay it with all the best will in the world it was never likely with the collapse that we had in property values here. I wouldn't accept that at all because we were spread across Ireland, the UK and Germany. Um, we had a substantial rental income, um, the order of 80 million a year. We were well spread on development and investment. We were spread across different countries, which um, would have been a big help in a recovering situation. Of course, the the collapse of the Irish banks meant a collapse in the development assets within the group. A lot of our businesses were, were doing very well and would have 
done very well had they been supported by NAMA. So, How long do you think it would have taken you to pay that money back? Look, we were determined to pay the money back. I I made a lot of concessions to NAMA. I didn't have personal guarantees, remember, that we didn't have to make. And I know you're very sore that your personal loans were put in there as well. Well, personal loans should never have been in NAMA. But like, remember, at the time, taking a judicial review against your personal loans, transferring, even though they were fully performing, wouldn't have exactly have gone down too well in the country where, when there was such a, a crisis. But we, we, we went along with it. We didn't take a judicial review. I'm quite satisfied we would have won that part of the argument. But when the corporate was going in there, we didn't want to take a judicial review on the personal. That was a mistake by NAMA. They didn't understand, I think, at that stage who had guarantees or who had not. I mean, Brendan McDonough went to the Public Accounts Committee and tried to claim I had personal guarantees. This came up with the bank inquiry. It came up It came up long before the bank inquiry. But the reality is, the CEO of NAMA didn't know who had personal guarantees and who hadn't. We didn't have them. He tried to claim we had. He tried to stick to that story right through. And because they didn't know which or whether, we got ended up being taken in there with the personal. And as you said, yeah, I am aggrieved by that because that was the ultimate lever that Blackstone used and it was a it was a lever that NAMA tried to use against us even though we set out to do the right thing and continue to do the right thing okay. all the way through so you might make a claim that how did I know look I've been a long time in business um, we know our property business of course we were affected by the collapse of the banks but that didn't mean that things weren't going to recover which they now have and of course we have a shortage of all the areas that we were we were so involved in yeah, mind you, property values haven't uh, recovered fully in Ireland. They haven't recovered fully. What was your exposure in Ireland of the 1.8? What was that? Uh, how much of that was Ireland? I suspect it was six or seven hundred million. Six or seven hundred million. Okay. But anyway, in your business plan, presumably you had a time frame uh, under which you would repay the money. Um, NAM itself has to be wound up by 2020. So, what kind of time frame did you outline to them? Well, well, first of all, the business plan was going to be somewhat dependent on the recovery in terms of the housing and the commercial development because the nature of development is you can only develop when it makes sense to develop. Of course, it makes sense now to develop. In Most of our product is, is in metropolitan areas, um, in Cork and Dublin. So it would be, make sense at this point. And we are back developing. And remember, we are backed by... I mean, we'll US come to that in a few moments. But yeah, but let, the point is we would be back developing under NAMA mm. for some time had NAMA taken the bigger picture view of companies like ours. And why do you think they didn't? Well, I don't think they understood what they were trying to do. I think they saw themselves as a, um, a recovery vehicle. It wasn't a workout vehicle. I mean... I'm aghast at, as to how what NAMA actually tried to do compared to what they were set up to do. I mean, we know they were set up to to, to um, save the banks or to take the assets out for the banks to be to draw a line among the losses in the banks, but they weren't set up to to um, undermine and uh, and devalue the property industry. But that's actually what happened. How so? Because their their model was such. To, to sell off assets, not to support a lot of the businesses. Platforms got greatly weakened and reduced. And all the planning that was necessary for now to, t- to deliver property was taken away, hence the shortage, which I'm sure we'll come to. But the reality of the situation is an awful lot of property um, overseas funds have made an awful lot of money. How have they made an awful lot of money? They've made an awful lot of money from buying properties cheap, 
and holding them for a short period of time. Mm. You should remember, though, that nobody would lend us any money between the period, you know, late 2010 and late 2013. Hence, we had the, the Troika bailout. Yeah, and... I, nobody I, was prepared to invest in this country. I, I accept that, but that didn't mean that you gave away assets at, at ridiculous prices. And I don't think we, having got the monies we got and the structure we got approved by the European Commission, that we had a business plan to maximise that. I think there was a, a make-it-up-as-you-go business plan with NAMA to dispose of assets, and there was no pattern or, or logic to some of that, dispose, that disposal programme. And I think that's proved to be yeah. extremely costly to the, to the state and to the taxpayers. 1.8 billion, you went in with 1.8 billion in company loans. Um, they were sold on to Blackstone. Do you know how much Blackstone no. paid? No, I, I have no knowledge as to what they paid. It, remember, Even we, through your litigation with Blackstone, you no, weren't entitled to we that were, figure? We were outside the room. Right. Now, a lot of people might people wonder... People don't understand that fully. Like, sure. We were not party to that transaction. So whatever they got was the, the result of a process which we fully engaged in and were engaged positively to achieve the best price, but we were not involved in, in the ultimate um, decision. Yeah. Your criticisms of NAMA may well be proven in the course of time to be correct, but um, a lot of people will wonder, Michael, how it ever came to pass that you had built up loans, your companies had built up loans, development loans, property loans, of 1.8 billion euro. I mean, it's a massive sum of money. Well, sorry, you're now talking about the scale of business. You're saying all business should be of a certain size. Well, we had a big business across many countries. I would contend the mix of development and investment. And remember, well over a billion of that was an investment-type property. So it wasn't a 1.8 billion development exposure. And the, the, the fact that we were of scale does not in any way mean that this was... Um, we borrowed carefully... We borrowed prudently. We obviously made mistakes like many others. But nobody um, ever factored in that banks were going to go, were going to disappear in this country. And of course, if, if we knew that, the, we had a lot of equity in our business. Had we known the exposure to the banks that we were all taking, and I think that was a result of the euro and the, the euro frenzy, I call it, in terms of borrowing money in Europe short and lending it long, I mean, the, the, the bank's model was a flawed model that had such an impact on businesses like ours. But did you ever wonder during the boom years, so-called boom years, when record prices were being set per acre for land, particularly in Dublin, you know, with the likes of Sean Dunn and so forth, did you ever wonder about the prices that were being paid at that time and, not, and say to yourself, this is mad, uh, listen, this can't last? Listen, there's no question I wondered. There's no question I queried. And there's no question... Looking back on it, I, I question some of the decisions I made. But just remember, at the time, um, we were... It wasn't that we alone participated in a rising market. We were well advised and we were very concerned about the growing prices. But all the predictions were that there was a soft landing Perhaps we bought into that conveniently. But we spread our business, not just development, but a lot of it towards investment. We, we backed off buying sites because of, of, of the um, prices that were being paid. 
a lot of property was sold for money that would never have worked in the good days, even if the good days con- continued. But I accept that um, with the benefit of hindsight. But remember, a lot of these properties were valued professionally. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the um, criticism has been levelled at the mm. principles, and mm. rightly so, because the ultimate decision stops with us. But what was the, what was the all, biggest amount you paid co- for a, a piece of land in Ireland? All, well, I was just making the point there that all our companies had, had um, people in the finance area, and we had people in, in, in all the various disciplines. What's the biggest price I paid? Um, I suppose we we probably paid four or five million an acre for maybe land in Dublin at one stage. Right. I'm just I'm, I'm just trying to think back. Um, values have changed so much. We we, genu- we generally always bought land uh, on a very careful assessment, which we st- still do. We haven't changed that. We never, ever, ever expected that land could fall 50, 60, 70 percent. That just didn't, that never happened in my 30 prior years to that in, in, in development. Remember, we weren't traders. We, we were people who bought applied skills to get planning, applied significant skills in development and construction, and then sell the product at the other end. You know, a lot of people yeah. got, in, got, got into this business who didn't have those skills. And they were the skills that I thought would have separated people in NAMA and in the banks from others, that people who could who could work through. And if, if I thought the NAMA model would have would have been a workout model for companies that had the right skills. It didn't turn out, it turned out to be the same, you know, it was the same treatment across the board, whether or not you, you had a structure or not to um, deal with development. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Okay, well, you're out of NAMA now. You've resolved your differences with uh, Blackstone. You now have a new uh, funding package in place, 400 million euros supported by Avenue Capital from the US and I think senior debt from AIB. Tell us about your plans now going forward. I mean, this is a new chapter in your business career. 10,000 homes in Dublin and Cork. How long is that going to take you? And how many have you got under construction at the minute? Well, we, you've asked me a number of questions there. We're very fortunate to have attracted a, um, a number of interest in... We took out all the development assets in Ireland and in the UK. Mm-hmm. And in, under the Irish structure, we, we have um, a, a partner in Avenue Capital, which is um, a, a very fortunate um, arrangement for us. Because and it's BlackRock in the UK, isn't it? It's BlackRock in the UK. Because Avenue have a history in, in other jurisdictions of picking a, a platform that they can do business with and they understand the housing model. And I th- we think that's very important, is to have the right kind of money, not just the money itself. Obviously, we can attract senior debt um, from both bank, allied Irish banks, and we also have some in you know, other structures borrowings with Bank of Ireland. So we are fortunate that we can attract senior, senior debt with both. We think there's a 
an exciting time ahead in the housing area, but there's a lot of issues that need to be resolved before before that can be crystallised. So whilst we have the the platform and the funding and a lot of sites in, in terms of raw material, we, you know there's a lot of issues still between you know to be resolved. We we're we might we might finish build and finish 300 units this year. Maybe we might build more between Cork and Dublin. It, a lot depends on the rules around the central bank, and a lot depends around the some of the issues on housing that, quite frankly, haven't been addressed by the, mm. the outgoing government. We'll come to those in a moment, but I just want to... Uh, you say 300 units this year. How would that compare with at peak? I would be well short of our peak. Um, what would you it, it might be peak? double that, or five or 600 okay. units. We, right. we, we always... We have a very... Um, established brand in housing. We have a very careful execution of how we do our housing and how we we interact with people buying. So we've we have um it isn't a volume model. It's a it's a model that gives a lot of attention to the buyers. Yeah, sure. And we've established that. We've sold houses to people and now we're selling houses to their children um many years later, which is great. And with a fair wind at your back, you're hoping to build these 10,000 units uh, between Dublin and Cork. How long do you think that will Well, we've 3,500 capacity sites and land. Uh, obviously, we, we were the underbidders in Project Clear. And we we are looking at acquiring other opportunities that there's a huge shortage of land and zoned land with proper infrastructure in this country. A lot of issues around we're not an island in terms of resolving the issues. We need help. We, we need um, an environment that has the right infrastructure in the right places with the right um, um, support from the local authorities to actually execute a plan of that scale. But our we have the funding and the platform to do it. A, a lot depends on, uh, on external government. Factors. Well, external factors and leadership from government because I've been saying this for some time now. I mean, I, I was... I said many years ago that we would have shortage of houses in, in time. And, you know, people at the time thought... Yeah, you've been proved right. We've just had an election, actually. So, I mean, it's a good time to ask you this. But who do you think should form the next government? I think the next government has to be has to be a minority government. I, I can't see any other uh, um, outcome that's going to work. Minority Fine Gael? Minority Fine Gael government, I, I think, is the... Is the um, it's not that unusual in other European countries. And I think... Um, I don't want... The, there are too many issues in, in this country that are too important to have politics take over now. I think there's a responsibility on government to actually, um, on the parties, whatever about um, those who get elected for opposition. I'm talking about the parties who um, who either will go into government this time or a future time to actually form, to allow government be, mm. be formed. What about a Fine Gael, coalition? Uh, look, I, I don't think it's a realistic option. Uh, and I prefer to talk about what's what's yeah. what's, what's likely. What's really, okay. What about the, what do you accept the democratic revolution took place last weekend, as has been suggested by some people on the left? I don't. I, I, I don't understand how people put themselves forward to be elected for opposition. I mean, we're electing a parliament. We're not electing an opposition parliament, and I have no difficulty at all. But I I do think that there should be less independence and more parties or people should there's so many different parties that now people should try and find their way into some party and I've no difficulty with all all the parties being being there but I, I don't see it as a revolution at all and um, I, I think it's very concerning 
that we um, have such indecision at this time, given the the progress that has been made in this country, but more important, the progress that's yet to be made. Um, I, I mean, I was very, I was strong at the time saying I thought the trike left town early. I thought there was a lot of issues still not resolved in terms of the cost base of the country. Um, and I, I still I still held that view. Uh, I think a lot of the issues that have become election issues are, are unfortunate because I think people were protesting rather than looking to see how can we have a, a stable government which the country so badly needs. And people are entitled to have that protest, but we also need a government. Were you a fan of the last government? No, I, I wasn't a fan at all. I, I thought they did made a lot of... Um, errors in in execution and um, I think they like if you look at the housing area look at NAM and look at areas like that look at Irish Water I mean obviously they did a good job on, on, on the macro front maybe dealing with Europe but that was just one part of, of the brief and they lost the um, the electorate for the for the you know for the recent election and I think it's one thing to apply yourself to the job, but you need to apply yourself to the to the whole job and bring people along with you. And I don't think they, they succeeded in doing that. I wasn't a bit surprised with the result. Right. And yet, you think we should have a minority Fine Gael government? I mean, wouldn't that Sorry, just be perpetuating some of the mistakes that have been made already? No, I... I well, I, I, I'm... Not speaking politics here, I'm speaking reality. The reality is, as I see it, is the only the only obvious government that could emerge from this, because I don't think a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael government is a, is a likelihood, is um, a minority Fianna Gael government. I think Fianna Fáil especially should be very responsible in that situation because perhaps the next time it will be a minority Fianna Fáil government. So, you know, we, we have to have a bit of reality from the main parties here, uh, other than people playing politics with something that's far too important at this yeah. point. Now, one of the criticisms of the government in the election campaign was that they did nothing on the social housing front and very little on the broader uh, housing front. And yet, NAMA um, were mandated by the government effectively um, to build 20,000 housing units over the next four to five years. And you and, and some others in the property industry have taken issue with that. And you've taken a, a complaint to the EU. Why did you do that? Well, you have a number of questions there. Um, housing is one of the biggest issues in this country at this time. Housing meaning homelessness, social housing and private housing. I have to say I was really surprised with the election manifestos. They mentioned housing, but they never actually addressed housing, any of the parties. Uh, I, had, I didn't see anything meaningful or practical that could emerge in terms of housing strategies. I I think, um, before I get on to the NAMA question and, and the state aid, I think we need a minister for housing. And this has been mentioned before, but like I think there are 12 different government departments involved in housing. I mean, housing is in crisis. Housing is complex. Housing issues are not going to go away. You know, between the development costs, the taxes, the levies, the VAT... You know, even the central bank issues, which probably isn't a, a, um, a government issue as such and shouldn't be because the instrument is a good idea. But I think there are constraints around people buying houses that, that um, has to be dealt with because it's, people can't are paying more in rent than they would in mortgages. The multiplier is wrong. The central bank governor says he looked at it during this year. 
when you tell people you're going to do something, people stop making decisions. I think the central bank guy needs to look at it. Or not look at it, but I think he needs to look at it because... The, so you think he might have exacerbated the situation? I think he has. Inadvertently. I, I think he has, but meaning, well, he needs more data, but I think he's not going to get any more data much than he already has at the moment. And people might feel it's been successful because it's suppressed housing. Uh, well, we need rules. What do you think the rules should be? Let's start with the uh, deposits. The deposits. I mean, it's twenty percent uh, for non-first-time buyers, if you like, and for first-time buyers, it's ten percent on the first two hundred and twenty thousand euro, twenty percent on the balance. What do you well, think? Perhaps ten percent across the board would be okay for first-time buyers, uh, but if they can afford to to repay, for example, uh, um, and you you have to look at the multiplier. And you know, in the it's UK, three and a half times. Yeah, but that maybe should be four and a half, like it is mm. in other jurisdictions. But you have to look at places like the UK when they had a housing crisis. You know, the the government sat down with the industry. I'm absolutely aware of this. It's like there would be there would be an outcry here if if people sat down until we sit in the one room. All the parties, the social housing people, the homeless, the the private housing, the government. Like you need a minister for housing. And under that also should come planning and infrastructure because they're all connected. Like, I don't think people fully realise the complex nature of resolving this issue. And to answer your question fully, um, on the, to go back on the state aid part that you asked me about, now we're talking about building 20,000 units. First of all, that was a convenient announcement in the budget, um, perhaps in anticipation of a November election rather than a February election. The reality is, even if NAM are 100% successful, that's 20,000 houses out of a requirement of 120. So it's probably le- it's less than 20%. It's 16%, I think, roughly, of the requirement. So if NAM is that's 100%... Good start, Michael, isn't it? Well, hang on. If NAM are 100% successful, they deliver 16 17% of the requirement. The reality now is, and I can tell you from where I'm sitting and the funding platform that I'm connected to and some of my co-complainants that made the case to Europe, I can tell you that that is impacting on the other 82 or 3 or 4%. So not alone will NAMA not deliver on that number, because I don't see possibly how they could, or NAMA borrowers more correctly, they're actually stopping the other um, the private world delivery. Okay. Let's so just explain that for the benefit no of, of listeners. You're basically saying that NAMA, because it's state guaranteed, it's able to access funding at a much cheaper level than you as a private borrower. But basically, NAMA can access NAMA borrowers or through NAMA, whichever way is NAMA receivers, NAMA borrowers. You know, the case we've made, the complaint we've made, and the independent economic consultancy we used from the UK to assess this have concluded that in one way or another, NAMA cost is around 4%. Now, the NAMA cost of funds is a lot less than that, but we'll, we'll say that there's a, an applicable cost of 4%, give or take. And in the private world, the comparable figure would be about 13%. So we would contend... What's your cost of funds? It would be somewhat less than 13% as a, as a blended cost. Um, but I, I, I don't want to go into the exact detail, but it wouldn't be as high as 13 and it certainly wouldn't be as low as 4 Somewhere much, in between? Much closer to the 13 than the 4. Um, so d- is it a double-digit figure? Is it sort of 10, 11? Are just, we talking that yeah, level? We are talking pretty much that level. When you take the blended, because we, we can get senior, blended and the equity costs, it will and be... And that's where the state aid bit comes in, you're saying, that effectively because these, are, are, these funds are state-guaranteed, 
that the state is the backstop, that this is the state aid element of it. You won't have, you cannot compete with somebody who has that advantage mm. in terms of their cost of funds. Just remind us, when was the complaint lodged? It was lodged in December. Okay, and what's the current status of it? The f- well, the phase one result should be out now, but obviously with the election, it, it probably was never going to happen before the election. So it's um, it's expected in the next week or two weeks. And the phase one is when they, when they actually decide if there is or if there isn't an issue. That's a critical timing. And whether it should go for a full investigation? If, then if it goes for a full investigation, there's a lot of question marks around what happens in the, in, in the interim. Does NAMA have to pause its building? Exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, there's there are different views on that. But this is an What unpre- do you think should happen? What would you like to see happen? This is an unprecedented situation. Well, you know what? If there is a case to be answered, the first question is, how do we arrive in this position? I mean, how is it that we set up a structure to save the banks and that structure gets announced by government? You know, you asked me, was I being critical? Yes, I am critical of setting up a structure that was set up under the previous administration to save the banks. And it's now going to be used to distort the supply of housing. The same structure that stopped people planning in advance for housing. So... Like, let's get real here if we're going to deal with the housing situation. That's why we need a cabinet minister. We need somebody who can pull together all the various issues and resolve the housing crisis. And somebody who should have responsibility for NAMA as well? Well, NAMA would come under that, of course. Because if, if, if it currently comes under finance. If you're, well, it comes under finance. And I, I've said previously that I, I, I don't think that... I think there should be a special minister dealing with NAMA. Mm. Is there any, do you have anybody in mind? Is there anybody that... No, I have I've nobody in mind. Um, but I'm certain of one thing. You know, if you look at the foreign direct investment programme in this country, which the IDA have done such an incredible job on, we're going to end up in a situation in the not-too-distant future that we won't be able to supply the houses to house the, the, um, the jobs that are going to be created in this country. Because whenever you get FDI visits, and we often deal with them in Cork, they are always interested to see where, where can people live or where are people going to come from. The reality is we've, we are still benefiting from, the, from the, the previous days of stock coming to the market. But the numbers of houses are so small now, it's going to become an issue. So and how many were built last year? What's your, what are your figures? They're telling? saying eight or 9,000. I think it's a lot less. I think we've, there was completions maybe in terms of electricity connections for eight or 9,000. But I, I think it's, it's a lot less than that. What do you think about this year? I think this year will be more of the same, if not maybe somewhat more. But Neither no, but maybe and ten. And the economists tell us we need about twenty-five to meet demand. I think I think they're all even the SRI talking in terms of thirty. So we've a, we have we have a pent-up demand, mm. and we have, we have viability issues, and we have like from the point of view of competitiveness, and we just have to start supplying houses. We can't allow a scarcity to take prices too much in the wrong direction. But that, that cr- throws up the infrastructure question. It throws up the lack of infrastructure, the lack of money for infrastructure. Where is all that going to come from? And it brings up the planning issue. I mean, I would say we need emergency planning framework for two years or three years that you get through the local authority within two months, you get through the board within two months. If you have a bona fide housing application that you can prove can be bring houses to the market. We need to fast-track planning. because That's kind of circumventing if, democracy, isn't it? I, I mean, local I, democracy in particular. Sorry, because people I, have a right in neighbourhoods and areas I, I, to I, object. I'm, 
I'm just saying that two months through the local authority, not getting further information requests that go on and f- go on and go on and go on, two months through board planola, I'm not circumventing anything. What I'm saying is that the local authority and the appeals board need to, need, need to prioritise, just like they would for an FDA, a big FDI factory. Housing is critical. We're not going to have a recovering economy unless we have housing. If you have a minister for housing, isn't that concentrating power in the hands of one person? Yes, but you know what? That's good because it makes people responsible. Make a guy, res- make somebody responsible for delivering something that's in critical to the country. And just the government, the new government, whoever should be, mm. should do that. And I, d- I don't see... that one of your criticisms of NAMA, one of your implicit criticisms of NAMA, is that there was too much power concentrated in this agency. It became a super agency accountable to nobody. Well, first of all, the minister isn't going to go building houses. Uh, the minister is a facilitator... F- um, Pulling together all the different. Well, NAMA probably won't build these houses either. No, no but have uh, its debtors th- do it or com- other parties. Yeah, but that's a complete. First of all, there's receiver, a lot of receivers being employed by NAMA to build houses, and there's borrowers, some willingly and some un- unwillingly. So mm-hmm. that's a very difficult structure um, in terms of, of a house building future. In terms of a minister, like somebody, people need to take responsibility politically and have the leadership to deliver the issues. You're asking me a question about housing. I, it, it involves planning. It involves infrastructure. It involves costs like VAT and development levies. And it involves funding, and especially the funding for infrastructure. And structures like mine and others like us, we can't, we don't want the money. We can't, we can't draw down the money, but we don't want it either, unless it's viable. And so we need to look at the cost base, but we also don't need house prices to get too expensive again. I mean, you asked mm. me earlier about yeah. the things that are out of hand. Yes, they did. Did we know that? We bloody well knew that at the time, but we tried our best to... Remember, I'm building house in 1978. Excuse me, house building is, is our business, um, is our, one of our core areas of business. And we, allow, we didn't zone enough land in this country. We zoned lands in the wrong place. We didn't create enough infrastructure in this country. We... We, had no, we have no structure for delivering infrastructure. I would say that minister needs to be involved in infrastructure, needs to be involved in planning. I'm not circumventing democracy at all. But if you understood some of the time it takes us to even get a meeting with a local authority... How long? It could take months. It's just like you could be in pre-planning for a year before you can lodge a planning application. Like, planning, delays in planning cost money. The builder... Is going to at the end of the day is the, the is the consumer who pays, the builder doesn't pay, the builder is is the in between, mm. the builder must make a profit otherwise he's no good, and this is the other thing about the NAMA. I mean, Brenda McDonough came out talking about making six or seven percent profit. I mean, that's complete nonsense. You cannot build houses at six or seven percent profit because you won't get funded to do that. What level of profit do you need? You need a minimum of fifteen percent, and, and, and that's for the, to build in the cost of replacement land as well. Yes, it's all about replacement land. If you overpay for land or if you underpay, it doesn't matter. You must put in the cost of replacement. That's the housing model. And look, unfortunately, when you see the CEO of NAMA coming out and that, it tells me that the person who's taking on the responsibility from the government, I would say it's a convenient parking of responsibility by the government because they had no other plan. 
to build the houses and he thinks we can build them with a margin of that. That tells me that yeah, yeah, okay. we're going over. Let me play devil's advocate for a minute, Michael. Because By all means. Let, let, let's say we, we do get our Minister for Housing and let's say it's somebody from the country, for argument's sake, right? One of the counties other than Dublin, right? And um, they take up ministerial office and they're told, you know, we need housing and we need it badly in Dublin and we need it pretty much straight away. And that minister says, right, let's build on every available strip. Let's own every available strip of land. Let's try and build on every available strip of land. And let's try and fast track the planning so that the guys can get on and do that and provide housing for our citizens. Then suddenly you have a lot of uh, people at a local level saying, well, hold on, this isn't sustainable. You're overdeveloping in this area. You're perhaps underdeveloping in that area. You're maybe taking uh, unnecessary green space out there. You're not providing, you know, proper uh, facilities for people in terms of schools, in terms of creches, in terms of water services, all of that kind of stuff. The kind of stuff that happened in the past uh, where we had we had houses built in the wrong places. We had an over-concentration in certain places and, you know, so on and so forth. And a lot of this has knock-on consequences in terms of, let's say, commuting. People getting to work or getting to school or getting to college or whatever. If, if those decisions are being made at a local level, there is at least some understanding of what the local area needs and how it should uh, develop in a sustained way over a period of time. Whereas if you have a Minister for Housing, those decisions cook out the window. Well, look, in, I, I, in the name of expediency. Kieran, I'm passionate about doing the right thing and building the right houses in the right places. We've never built houses where, where they won't sell. We, I could not but understand. But others have, Michael. Sorry, I, I absolutely. But you know what? To build those houses, they had, someone had to give them zoning, someone had to give them infrastructure, and someone had to approve planning. Like, there was a lot of hurdles to pass, and I completely agree. I'm not advocating anything not being done 100% correct. And I, I see... A housing minister doesn't won't be granting planning. A housing minister won't be building, putting blocks up in blocks. But a housing minister will take responsibility, which the Taoiseach should be party to because he's head of that cabinet, to actually deal with the crisis. They have done nothing to deal with the crisis in the last number of years. First of all, I don't think they fully understood it was coming. Secondly, they were believing probably Nam and others could solve it. And the reality is it's here. People are being denied homes and... If you push people from the private into the social, and people are being pushed from the social into the homeless, like, there is no reason in the world why we should have homeless people, homeless situation in this country. Equally, we haven't been dealing with social housing. We have, we conveniently try to put it into a structure with part five, where, and I'm all for social inclusion, if that model can be found to, no difficulty. But because the private housing markets collapsed, the social housing market collapsed. I mean, connecting those two was, was amazing. Mm. But we have to come up with private monies, private equity and accessing EIB or funds to catch up on the social housing. EIB it's being the European investment. European investment. It's a travesty. OK, but the government might argue, the, to be fair, the government might say, well, hold on, we have a plan. And uh, this plan has been executed by NAMA to build 20,000 housing units by 2020. That plan, and, but that plan only deals with And 16, that plan, to be fair, that plan is skewed towards social and affordable houses. Yeah, no, but um, there's nobody having an issue with that. But that plan is only, deal towards, is only dealing with 16% of the requirement. You are, sorry. Well, the government can't deal with 100%. I mean, you sorry. know, I mean, they're making the start. I know, but, but you have to look at the macro position. Look, we filed a complaint. We'll be either proved wrong or right about the complaint. But whether we're proved wrong or right, I can tell you, the NAMA programme is affecting house building and affecting delivery of houses. So let's get real here. We have to look at the reality. 
the reality is it's stopping private money going into houses to supply the 84% that NAMA aren't supplying. By the way, why don't you think NAMA can uh, deliver on this plan? I, I just think that, um, you know, for a plan, a bit like the Construction 2020 plan that was announced by the government, any plan isn't much good without an implementation plan to go with it and programme to go with it. I'm, I don't for a moment think that NAMA are capable of delivering that, those kind of numbers. But I'm very happy to be proved wrong. But let someone explain to me what, where, when, how they're going to do it. Mm. And go back and look at the Construction 2020 programme and look through that, which I did recently. It's, it's OK to produce plans, but that's why you need a minister. Because you need somebody who's actually responsible for delivering on plans, delivering on a programme. And unfortunately, you know, we need leadership. We need proper leadership on issues that are fundamental to people and their standard of living. We, we haven't got that in, in the housing area. And I'm advocating more of the same won't achieve that. Yeah. By the way, I just say in the last area, so Olivia Kelly, my colleague, is writing that Dublin Council... Uh, Dublin City Council has cancelled a 20 million tender for the modular housing that was being um, spoken about. The, the parties, I don't know whether you've seen the story or not. I haven't but, seen um, it, no. The, the, the parties have, who were interested in tendering, I think I've said that they needed more time um, for the whole process. Any thoughts on that? I, well, I, look, I don't think, I think modular housing got overhyped. Mm. The, the speed of building houses is not the issue here. We can build houses really quickly. 20-something weeks. You know, it's getting the planning, having the infrastructure, firstly, the correct zoning, the correct house in the right places, the correct house mix, having infrastructure and fast-tracking the planning. That's a lot more important than... than like, modular housing is seen as some sort of temporary housing. I, I, it's, it's very acceptable for, for short-term accommodation, it works very well where schools have to have extensions and you've modular type. And we were involved in major modular how student accommodation blocks in mm. the UK. So I'm not for a moment condemning modular, but modular as a solution to the housing crisis. Look, I, I saw it hyped up in the press. It absolutely made no sense to people like me because we can build houses quickly. Okay. Do you think, looking back, the property developers got a raw deal uh, uh, following the crash that you're scapegoated for everything that went wrong? Well, I, I dealt with a lot of this at the bank inquiry, um, which I think you might recall. I, um, I, I think we were scapegoated. I mean, I think property developers were convenient to criticise and some of the leading members of the last government were happy to do so fairly often as well. I just don't think people understood what property developers did. Property, property developers had good business models and good f- governance and, f- and structures. But did those governance structures, including finance, they got it wrong as well. It wasn't just the developer, the head of the company. There's, there's so much hype about developers, first of all. I mean, why should, why should our industry be picked out as, as someone to be hyped like we have been? I think it's, I don't think it's helpful to the industry when you have hype around it. And I think we got unnecessarily blamed because um, of the scale of the crash and the amount of property that was contained within the banks. But I, I think a different solution to the banking crisis, not NAMA, 
I mean, we exacerbated, we, we took a crisis and made it an enormous crisis by drawing a line in the sand and transferring all the the loans out, they took out our good loans as well as our challenge loans, our loans that were connected to development. That was a huge mistake. That was a, that was a mistake promoted by people who were setting up NAMA out of the NTMA at the time. That was a fundamental, drastic mistake that was made. No one has ever seemed to acknowledge that. Um, obviously, they needed good loans to service the, the, um, their own bonds and requirements. I, I like If you look at the UK system, they went with... Um, they went with um, an insurance-type scheme. We did, they didn't have the falls in the UK, collapse in the UK that they had in Ireland. So why should the property developers be held extra responsible because we came up with a structure in Ireland that was really based on the IRTC in, in the States or the Securum uh, model in, in Sweden? Like, both of those were completely different. And I've heard people try to compare the two. So I think we came up with a structure to solve a problem and we actually made it a much bigger problem. And when I hear this nonsense about NAMA making a profit, I mean, NAMA destroyed the banks, absolutely destroyed the banks. They destroyed property values. We have spent a fortune on fees, fees and more fees. And at the end of the day, if they supported the people who knew what they were doing in the businesses, there would be a lot bigger recovery and a lot better recovery. And, you know, we wouldn't have the shortage we have now. Like, we're really going to feel this when people, when you don't have buildings around the country, maybe the Dublin Business District will be okay on FDI buildings, but buildings around the country will, the lack of housing for jobs and then the lack of housing for people working. Do you have a problem with NAMA building offices? I have even a bigger problem with NAMA building offices than building houses because whatever you might say are the social aspects around around housing and some aspects of housing, there's absolutely no shortage in, in, in the supply of offices. So why would you have a state-aided structure getting involved um, distorting the supply of offices. Well, it's, it's really it, only been in the past year that we've seen offices being built in the central business district. But it's only in the past year and NAM have got involved in building them as well. So why didn't they get involved in building them two or three years ago when nobody else was? Like, this is a key issue and it's an issue that came up in, in our discussions with the Commission. Why now? Why now is because when the state aid was approved um, back at the establishment of NAMA. Nobody thought about a recovering market. But if, if, if anyone had, and I don't blame anyone for not thinking about it at the time, if anyone had thought about it, they would have realised that it's one thing to bring in state aid to save the banks. It's quite another thing for that state aid to be used yeah. to compete against people. Now, you built the Elysian in Cork, which is the biggest residential tower in, in the country. Some would see it as a bit of a, a symbol for the Celtic Tiger years. It was never finished out at that time, but you're, you're actually completing it now, aren't you, on behalf of Blackstone? That's one of the assets that they've retained ownership of. Well, I, ironically, I am doing that. And, um, you know, after our, our, our disagreement and battle, or call it what you like, in Blackstone, we're now actually managing the assets for them and we're now actually executing construction and fit out and renting and doing all the... the they kept a number of assets, mainly the finished stock, and we, we took all the development assets away. Unfortunately, thankfully, to... to um, That's 17 storeys high, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's still the tallest building in the country. Mind you, we didn't set out for it to be that, but other places that had taller never got built, so we got that... We got that um, tag by default, but I'm sure now in the recovering market it, it'll be passed out. Um, and it, it, it um, has become, a, it seems to be a, a building that has attracted an awful lot of attention. And the main reason that happened is that NAMA, unfortunately, didn't listen to my business plan for it. 
which was to let all the units at the time, because there was no market for sale. If we let the units, it would have taken one year, one year's rent to fund the fit-out costs. NAMA didn't allow us to do that. And um, then it stayed idle for four years instead. Blackstone, thankfully, have... have it was a big talking point in the crash, wasn't it? Because people used to pass by and say, look, yeah, the there's lights. the biggest residential tower in the country and there's only a dozen lights on. Yeah, but that, that was because of, of a flawed management application to the, to the building. It made no sense not to finish it out. It made no f- sense not, not to let the units. And one year's rent would have repaid and f- four years idle after that. Mm. Blackstone, thankfully, have, have, following discussions with ourselves, have agreed that the building should be... And we're now currently fitting it out and doing exactly what we wanted to do five or six years ago. But remember, we finished off that building in a, at a very difficult time by, by putting in our own resources to do so. So it wasn't that we weren't found wanting when it came to, um, to bringing every site, including the Elysian, every site everywhere to a convenient okay. stop and we also managed that right through the whole uh, downtime so people who were living in our states were able to live um, comfortably and weren't in, uh, in any way in, on living in ghost states so I, I think you asked about developers I think we've taken a hammering I think um, we're an essential part of a recovering economy I think now people see the shortages people realise and when they look at some of the money we can attract as partners for capital. I mean, unless you have a state-owned um, structure, like some countries around the world, you have no chance of recovering the housing shortage or, or indeed providing for um, a, a growing economy, which, thankfully, Ireland is heading in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, by the way, have you paused the building of any of your housing stock in light of this NAMA plan to build 20,000 units? We are you won't, still pressing ahead? We won't start any site or buy any site that's competing directly with an AMA site. And that's not, that doesn't go from just me, it goes for a number of the other complainants as well. So uh, we have explained this to the Commission and, you know, that's the reality. It doesn't matter what anyone looking on says. The reality is that house building is being curtailed in locations because of the NAMA um, supported developers or development in the case of receivers. So the reality is, mm. yes, it's having an impact already. Not just with us, but many others. And yet we see Cairn Homes, the Irish listed company listed in London, spending millions and millions of euro uh, buying up sites over the last uh, number of months. They well, don't seem to have any problem uh, acquiring sites, spending money, presumably, to build over the next number of years in competition to NAMA. I am... Um, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to speak for Karen or their business model, but I can assure you everyone involved in house building is very keen that NAMA um, aren't allowed to compete on an unfair basis with, with the industry. I'm sure Karen, Karen's boardroom are no different, but I'll let Karen speak for themselves and explain their own business model. Okay. And Stephen Vernon of Green Property said recently in an interview uh, with a Sunday newspaper that the opportunity, the investment opportunity, if you if you like, the low hanging fruit, I suppose, uh, is gone now in Ireland. They've started to sell some assets. They put some on the market. Would you agree with that? I would. I mean, the easy money is gone. I mean, people made people made a lot of money by just buying and um, holding or doing very little work. You know, some of it was financial engineering rather than any actual added value. But we we're in the section of development property that involves work, planning work, project management work, development, construction. So I think Stephen is right. 
I, I think Stephen has called the market right a few times and I think he's right in terms of the easier buy and sell or buy hold for a while and sell. And some of the investment funds that have done so well out of some of the properties that I couldn't believe were being sold, not just in Ireland but in the UK, take the Battersea one for Johnny uh, Ronan and Richard Barrett, for example. I mean, I mean, there's some extraordinary decisions made in terms of selling assets uh, um, by NAMA at the, the bottom of the market, assets and locations that were always going to recover. Yeah. By the way, you didn't think of uh, following Mick uh, Wallace and uh, seeking election to the doll, perchance? I mean, you could, probably could have affected a lot of this change you're, you're looking for now. You might have made um, a very good minister for housing. I, I have enough issues to deal with without running for the doll, I can assure you. But I have a very big interest in, in, in the political scene because, you know, I think um, there was a time when, when um, industry and politics were seen to be too close. And I understood the criticisms at the time. I think, unfortunately, now the, other, the opposite has happened. And I know in the UK, for example, that the house building industry were integral in um, integral in, in changing the... Um, the house, the housing, house to build, or the, the um, sorry, I've lost the um, the buy to help to buy. Sorry, mm. the, the, it's called the help to buy scheme. Where in the government UK. in the mm. UK seems like a good scheme. I think it's a good scheme, but the the point I'm making is that the industry had a huge part to play in that, and we have come to the position here that the industry, you know, doesn't get consulted mm. or doesn't get brought into any of the discussions albeit we'd be criticised for not coming up with the results but unless you interact with the industry you're not going to um, you're not going to um, get the results from the industry By the way were you ever in that Galway tent the famous Fianna Fáil one uh, in the pre-crash years? I was never in the Galway tent with 13 boys no? No and you're not the first journalist to ask me that but I was never in the Galway tent Right ok Were you asked? I can't recall but uh, being a genuine I, I genuinely uh, I was never in there. So right. and from you. memory, I think you told the inquiry that you never went on any of these uh, trips to the Ryder Cup or such like, did you? No, I, I, I wasn't at the Ryder Cup, but then that's the specific question. Or was Formula I, One events? or Was I part the Formula One events? No. Did I, did I um, partake in some of the banking um, hospitality? Yes, I did. I, I, I'm not in any way... Hmm. Um, I didn't go to that particular Ryder Cup trip that I think you're referring to. I was never at a Ryder Cup with a bank, put it like that. But I certainly did. Did um, but it's part of business to interact with people you do business with socially. Um, obviously, it's been painted very, very badly now. Looking back, um, but I don't think. Um, I still think that business um, people who do business together should socialise somewhat. You get to know people through that means. I think maybe some of the trips were were over the top. But I'm. Um, I'm not going to deny that I and I since the crash I, I have um partaked in hospitality, so it's part and parcel of what we do. Oh you have really which banks? Oh I, I wouldn't be into naming any. It's hospitality well, business. Yeah, be a bank of Ireland or lenders to yours, so presumably there too. Hus- hospitality generally I'm saying I've partaked in it um, right. with, with business across the whole spectrum. Right, okay. Um, just we're, we're coming to the close now, but I just want to ask you very quickly, I don't want to rerun the whole banking inquiry saga. Um, you gave your evidence, uh, you gave your observations when you saw what was being included in relation to yourself in, in the report. Initially, the um, the committee weren't minded to make changes, but eventually, you threatened legal action, eventually they did make changes. 
Um, when you look back on it now, was the banking inquiry, was it a worthwhile exercise in your opinion? Oh, look, I, I've said this already. I, I think the, the hearings were of more benefit than the report. Mm. I think the report, um, I certainly I had fundamental issues with it. I wanted it to be factual, accurate in every way. I wanted was it, it not? I mean, the drafts no, that you the, were given? No, the, the, there were issues. I'd fund the, I had serious issues with it. And I tried very hard through, through um, correspondence to change that. But it took to the very uh, 11th hour before, before... And I don't want to say we, we threatened anything because that's not my style. But at the end of the day, I, I was pleased they changed it because I, I wasn't going to allow a report in any way refer to me wrongly. Yeah. And um, I, I would you have followed through on that threat? I, I certainly would have followed through. I I um I, I don't do threats. I, I if I believe in something, I follow it. I um you remember, I was asked to go through a banking inquiry. It's a huge imposition on anyone, but like every other people, you know, the banking crisis was a massive issue for people in this country. I prepared long and hard for it. It was you know it, we all have busy day jobs. The work involved in preparing for the banking inquiry was enormous. We didn't have enormous structure to, to prepare for it. I went and I gave my evidence. And to think, having given sworn evidence at a banking inquiry like I did, that NAMA could write in a letter, and cont- not even by somebody who was, who was actually involved in evidence to the banking inquiry, to contradict my sworn evidence, and that evidence to be placed on the record, is still, uh, is still they couldn't technically take it off at that point, but they agreed to put put um, a notice on it in very bold print that we fundamentally disagreed with it. So, look, to be fair to the bank inquiry people, I was satisfied with how they dealt with the situation. I wish it didn't come to what it came to. I think we were, I was a willing participant. I think I, I gave my full account of how I did my business and I was disappointed that I had to get into that um, discussion with them but thankfully we resolved it. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I mentioned at the top that it was 1978 uh, when the company was set up and you got into the property business. I mean, that's almost 40 years ago now. You're looking well for it, might, might I say, in spite of your travails over the last uh, number of years. But, you know, what keeps you going? Um, given everything that's happened to you since 2008, it's almost a decade now uh, since all of this blew up. And, and really, the, it is a decade, I suppose, because the property market arguably peaked in 2006. So what keeps you going and... and, and and where to from here? How long? How long more do you see yourself in the property game? Look, I, I I was worked really hard to build up a business. We lost a lot of that business. Thankfully, I managed to reclaim um, a critical section of it. I'm, you know, we we have um, a very good structure now in both countries. We have a very good financing model now. We've obviously learned a fair bit from from the past. I'm not a quitter. I like to see things through. I am passionate about the country and about what we do, and I, I um, we I had I lost people along the way, even during the Blackstone process, we lost people. But we have I have a marvelous team of people in um, in Ireland and the UK who believed in me and who stuck with me. And you have two children working in the business. Well, I, I have I have two children now who who've come into the business in in the last year, and um, both um, surveyors who are. Um, who, who are involved now and in one in O'Flynn Construction and the other in O'Flynn Capital Partners. But my main motivation was to to stick with it for everybody else and not just to run away. And I, I um, 
that would be my nature. So I wouldn't recommend the last 10 years to anybody. I mean, it's been, it's been an extraordinary journey. But I take great satisfaction of coming through to the other end. I take a great satisfaction out of the fact that we're back doing what... And we have tradesmen and subcontractors and people that we worked with over the years coming back, working at this, this very time again. And I think that's, that's very important to me, given the kind of people that, that... I presume a lot of those must have had to emigrate. Yeah, well, funny, a, a number of them did. A number of them actually have changed away to different areas. Um, and I think this is one of the challenges that people yet don't realise, that maybe we gear up to building fifteen or 20,000 houses a year in this country easy enough, but we have people going beginning to trades. I know a number of people that we had who have left trades. So how are we going to build 30, 40, 30 35,000 houses? That's the number we're going up to. I think we have issues that we haven't yet quite we figured don't have out. skills, basically. I, sir, I think we have the skills for a certain capacity. I don't think we have the skills for enough capacity. That's why we have, we have a minister for housing and planning. It's just not just housing, but it's, it's planning, infrastructure. That deals with FDI. I mean, I see, um, I see housing and FDI as important as roads or airports or, or broadband. But the, how, but the skills necessary to affect the property requirements for the recovering economy. I think if we have a Minister for Housing or in this area, I think that's one of the areas he'll have to look at and figure out how, how are we going to... Like, where do we need development? How much do we need? How are we going to fund How are we going to fund it? How are we going to do the infrastructure? How are we going to implement it? And not just have this awful ad hoc up and down arrangement that we've had in the past. I mean, it's, it's time we, we brought... Um, and by the way, you, you have business in the, in the UK, as you mentioned. So any thoughts on Brexit? We're going to have a referendum now in June um, on a possible British exit from the EU. Well, it's a very interesting... How would that affect your business? Any contingency planning underway? I, I'm, I'd be alarmed at it. I'd be very concerned about it. I, I had an interesting straw poll in my London office la- last week on the very Brexit issue. I, I was really surprised by some of the people who, who were saying we the England should leave. Obviously, I'm talking about all English uh, people. Because when you drill down into it, uh, I mean, they, some of them just ran away from that comment because um, when I explained to them the likely consequences that could come about, I think there's a lot of imperialistic re- reasons. I, I just don't understand how the unknown for England is better than the known. I, I think... Um, I think to be a huge problem for Ireland. I really, I mean, I feel if, you know, they did so much better by accident having their own currency mm. than we did. That was an accident. And there that, is that a school of thought that if Britain does leave the EU, that we should follow them out. Well, look, I, I was a big, because I was, I've been involved in England since 1985, I was a big critic at the time when 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 the currencies, um, when, when the euro was set up, when the euro was set up and, and they didn't follow. I think it was an accident that they didn't follow in terms of that they were better off because I think had we not got the euro, we wouldn't have ended up with the banking um, crisis that we ended up in this country. I think we wouldn't have had the property frenzy we had in this country and that's all been maybe trashed out already. But I think Ireland is very serious for Ireland if we separate... If so England, Britain leaves, should Ireland follow? I think the amount of trade we do with Ireland... Um, with Britain. Our, our Britain is... Um, is a massive concern if, if they leave. I'm not sure we should leave with them, 
but I think it's a big, big question that I don't, I don't fully know the answer to yet. I'm just hoping it doesn't arrive, Kieran. Sure. Okay, Michael O'Flynn, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Michael O'Flynn. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 